Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I'm your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and welcome to Valor Studios. If you guys are just joining us for the first time, first of all, welcome. And second of all, Valor Studios is a community of tabletop role-playing fanatics who love to share our stories with the world around us. So I'm so glad that you guys were able to uh, join us this evening. If you want to learn a little bit more about what we have going on here at Valor Studios, you can do so by following us on Twitter at Valor underscore studios, or you can join our Discord community, which you should see a link for over in the chat. We also uh, would appreciate any subscriptions here on Twitch, or at the very least a follow, just so you guys can know that uh, you know we're live and we've got a new show coming uh, that we want everyone to tune into. This particular show happens every Monday night at 8 p.m. Central, if uh, anyone you know out there wants to see something like this but can't necessarily make that time, uh, definitely check out Valor Studios on YouTube. All of our episodes of every show that we do goes up on YouTube. That's including Rollin' Bones, that's including uh, Tales of Valor, and that will be including Axion as that uh, kicks off next week. And uh, yeah, that's the place to direct people who uh, weren't able to make the actual live streams. Although, uh, you know, we, we do hope that those of you who are watching on YouTube or listening to this on audio will be able to join us someday live because this is where, like I said, twitch.tv slash Valor Studios, Monday nights at 8 p.m., uh, where you can contribute your questions to the guests that we have on the show. So... Thank you for supporting us in all the various ways that you do. I am so glad, once again, that you guys are here, uh, that you've uh, stuck with us through this break. And uh, without further ado, let's get to tonight's guest. So uh, he is the mind behind Dragon Peak Publishing. He's got a Kickstarter coming up, Mysteries of the Multiverse for Mutant Crawl Classics. Big fan of Mutant Crawl and Dungeon Crawl Classics. So without further ado... Ladies and gentlemen, boneheads alike, let's give it up for Stefan Surratt. Stefan, welcome to Rolling Bones. Thank you, Ryan, and uh, thank you to, uh, to all the boneheads out there. Absolutely, absolutely. The boneheads, thank you as well. <laughs> I feel that I can speak for them as I'm their king. Self-appointed, but still, I'm their king. I didn't vote for you, but I don't, I don't get a vote, and they don't either. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Just... Quoting Monty Python at tables is uh, usually forbidden these days, so we'll we'll cut it off right. there. <laughs> All right, yeah, I got the one in. Yep. You, you mentioned that you weren't that you were self appointed king, and I, I found yep. it hard to resist. Absolutely. Well, I didn't vote for you. 
Anyway, but yeah, I'm uh, I've got my uh, Kickstarter launching my third one. I'm actually it's launching tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Central. Said Mysteries of the Multiverse. Uh, I did one about a year and a half ago now called Merchants of the Multiverse. So you don't ha- you don't have to read the first one. <laughs> there's no spoilers. There's a little there's some expansion off the material from the first one, but it's it's also totally standalone. Um. It should be a bunch of fun. I there's a new level one adventure in there because there's just there's not enough MCC adventures. Right. There's you know they're coming out with the twelfth numbered one soon mm-hmm. from the official line, and I think you know if you add in a holiday adventure here or there, there's probably like fifteen probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 11. and then even even like third party support, there seems to be more on the DCC side than on the MCC side, although. Uh, you know, like America is definitely holding it down. Uh, Luau Lu is putting out some great stuff for MCC. Yeah. So it it's always good to have more Mutant Crawl classics because I know uh, so many people who come through here love Mutant Crawl classics specifically. There's there's really nothing else available on the market quite like it that does it quite as well as MCC does. I know there are other options out there, but. MCC for my money is the best uh kind of spiritual successor to the the gamma world type game. Yeah, it's I I grew really tired of the depressing post apocalypse the we're scavenging and oh thank god we got enough food for the village and that's your reward for for this session and this hard earned gameplay. No, let's have some more fun and you know throw in the Thundar the Barbarian more so than Mad Max. Absolutely. So, uh, Stefan, we're going to start this evening where we always start. I've got questions everyone gets asked when they come on Rolling Bones for the first time. So let's begin at the beginning here. How did you get into role-playing games to begin with? Uh, so kind of roundabout through video games. Uh, you know, the old Baldur's Gate games and the... Uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic was was like the main one for me, where it was like, oh, this is just the computer's rolling the dice for me, but it's exactly the third edition system. Hmm. Um, and my buddy got a, a third edition box set, 3.5 was out, and so that meant the third edition one was half off. <laughs> yep. And we could afford it. And uh, I died, or I got, uh, my character got stuck in a magic mirror for all of eternity, so I didn't die, but... Um, you know, it wasn't doing too hot. I walked home that day and I just couldn't stop thinking about how I wanted more. Um, and yeah, and then like a week later, I bought the complete adventurer because there was a thousand splat books. And I didn't know that I was supposed to buy the player's handbook first because uh, there's way too many options. And uh, and that one had the coolest pictures in my, in my opinion at the time. So I got that one and bought it. And then my friend was like, you bought the wrong one. Uh, but yeah, so so it all started back then, and went through fourth edition, and then because of fourth edition, started finding out about the OSR, and I've run a level one through twenty fifth edition campaign, and now I've just been like hooked on DCC for the last few years. Mm. Yeah, D- DCC has been a uh, at, at this point has been a year long running obsession of mine. So I'm, I'm kind of right there with you in that my, my head and my heart kind of lie in uh, the, the Goodman games area right now. 
Yeah. I mean, they've really, they've carved out like something that no one else is really doing in like the vibe of their game. And the community is like Goodman games as a company is so supportive to their community and the play culture that they've made. And the community itself is also just like so supportive and and open. It's just like, you know, I, I think in like three years and I'm like a mod on the, the dungeon crawlers discord. Um, and like, I can count on, you know, one hand the amount of like problematic, you know, people, and it's. But I'm also, you know, I can go look on Twitter, and like, oh, our Discord problems are like so much less than oh, yeah. all the weird discourse that's happening on Twitter as opposed mm-hmm. to Discord. Yeah, and I think that speaks to the fact that Discord inherently is kind of more community focused. Yeah. Whereas tw- Twitter's a lot more set up to be adversarial than Discord is. I think I definitely agree on that. Yeah. <laughs> definitely feels more adversarial at times. But yeah, I mean, we could sit here and, and gush about the, the Dungeon Crawl Classics community all night, but the, uh, the, the next question that I have for you, of the games that you uh, have played in the time that you played, and I think I already know the answer to this based on our conversation so far. What would you say your favorite system is? Uh, yeah, it's it's Dungeon Crawl Classics. Uh, who would have guessed? Yeah. Absolutely. Now, when we devote a lot of time to playing this game and, you know, hours upon hours of our lives are spent at, at tables rolling characters and stuff like that, but we tend to develop our own unique styles when it comes both to running our games and playing games. So if you had to describe your play style as a GM or as a referee and also as a player, how would you describe those two? Uh, I'll start with as a player because that's easiest. Um, I, I like to push the buttons and pull the levers. I see the like because I've been I've been writing my own stuff for a while and like and not just like the for my own table, but, but publishing it um, as well. So. Uh, I can see the things where I'm like, oh, that's that's a specific thing, and I'll be a player. I'm like, oh, I wonder if they wrote like a specific like little table or random thing. If I put on the weird helmet, and, you know, activate it, I want to put on that weird helmet. I don't care if something bad. Happens. I want something bad to happen. <laughs> so that's the kind of player I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't take it so far as to being like handicapping the group. I'm not gonna just push buttons to that extent but but i I have a little fun that way um as a gm uh or or a judge uh as they say for the dcc community um i i'm always trying to be like open for whatever and it's just like hey we're all here to pretend to be like something goofy elves and dwarves and wizards and stuff so uh as long as you're down with that as long as you have the buy-in for the you know the three sentence you know thing that i say y'all are going into a dungeon because uh the stone giants stole a whole crypt a whole dwarven crypt they stole the whole thing and you're going into the collapsed mess that they made to solve the thing and get the dwarven prince's body back as long as you're like yes that's what i signed up for and that's what i want i'm i'm more than happy to play and i i love it when people think of uh, solutions to problems that you know, I never would have. I, I, I kind of, I 
when I'm writing my own stuff, I always make sure to like, you know, put in an actual solution to something. Um, but I also love in like, I've done some play tests where I'm like, I don't have an answer for this yet, but it's a really fun question. And my players will figure out an answer in that play test. And then that's what I'm going to write down. Absolutely. So. Yeah, it's it's always interesting when you present a problem to your players, the the crazy solutions or crazy ideas that that come up as they take a look at something, especially I think a lot of a lot of GMs or a lot of judges have had this situation where you know in your mind what the answer is and you feel like it's pretty intuitive, the answer that you've set up here, but the players have come up with some kind of cockamamie going around their elbow to get to their asshole solution. Yeah. <laughs> that like works in theory and then the dice rolls make it work in practice and you're just like, what? Uh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You bring enough like weird, you know, you bring enough farm animals down to the dungeon and you're going to have some players try out some weird things, mostly for disabling traps. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that sounds I've like a it. sounds like a funnel uh, situation yeah. there. Just you have a whole bunch of farmers. They're just like, all right, send the cows in there. That's that's when I find players get most creative in in the funnel, where it's like, all right, my my character sucks, like pretty <laughs> objectively, um, and all I have is a wheelbarrow and a chicken. So I'm going to make <laughs> that work. Absolutely. I do see in the chat someone's wondering if I have a favorite genre. Um, favorite I, genre I, of what is is what I would ask because I'm I'm guessing they're they're talking about games, not movies or something. But uh, if if it's games, uh, fantasy is the easiest game to keep going. But but I have that love for westerns, uh, Wild West and Weird West more than Wild West in my heart. Um, I wrote a, a couple of adventures for Weird Frontiers. That was my last Kickstarter. I got it to publication before, or Dave got the core book to publication. <laughs> so, nice. which I probably irks him a little bit, but <laughs> he made he made he made a far bigger book than I did. Yeah, um, yeah, he, uh, made, yeah. he, he yeah. made a nine hundred page pew Bible, and yeah, mine mine's a a few pages shorter than that. I, <laughs> mine's about thirty pages, <laughs> so. A little, a little easier to wrap your head around and uh, and get a publisher to print without having to worry about a spine. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm from Texas. I remember you know like early memories of me trying to like putting a stick in the ground in the front yard and like trying to practice my lassoing technique and getting excited for the rodeo because that was the small town I grew up in. Uh, so westerns and weird westerns because I I also want magic and ridiculousness too. And we we definitely love weird westerns on uh, on this show, especially since what brought me to Valor Studios was a Deadlands game. So, oh, oh was that was that? I'm looking at things. Was that Lou? I see someone being like Lou L. Lou's in the chat. Oh, nice. Hey, Lou. I love it when he That's shows it. up. Yeah, I'll say for M boogers, I mostly use Roll Twenty as my BTT of choice because I am cheap. But I will admit just as readily as about anyone else that it is not the best. Um, I'm also just these 
the more I homebrew something and I'm like, there's no built-in support under Roll20, the more I'm just like, all right, guys, we're just going to do Discord and I'll, I'll hold up the book or I'll post like a screenshot of the PDF into chat if you need something. So it depends how, yeah, homebrewy I'm getting. Gotcha. Because I'm, I'm also perfectly happy. I, I like start out all, I've run a, I've run a ton of online games. I'm taking a little time off now, but uh, I always start off by being like, all right, guys, if, you know, we're using Roll20, you can roll the dice there, you can roll the dice in like some online thing, you can roll real dice, I'm just going to trust you. If you start calling out 20 after 20, I'm not going to trust you anymore, but. Yeah, when you run DCC, losing is just as much fun as winning. Usually, so I have no problem with trusting people. I've never mm-hmm. actually felt even suspicious of someone cheating. Absolutely. Now, again, for those of us who spend a lot of time in this hobby at our tables, writing games, we do this out of a position of love, and we do this because we have so many fond memories tied up with role-playing games. So if you had to pick a fondest RPG memory, what would that be? Um, it's, it's usually a, a, a most recent one. Like I always have like my love for like my first character that was like a real character and not just like nervous 13 year old Stefan just being himself, but he can cast a few spells. Mm-hmm. Um, but recently I, I, I was at, um, Chupacabra Con, which is down in Austin, Texas. Um, and I ran the one who watches from below, which is a, uh, a spoiler that most anyone who's heard of the module knows there's a curse in there that it is very likely at least one player will get afflicted by and your eyeballs pop out of your head and you just control your eyeballs. Um, you find, you know, you can crawl along the walls there's stuff in there so you can like scout ahead uh but if you if someone else if you find like a sleeping creature or there's like or your buddies have paralyzed a creature or you know grappled it and pinned it you can try to dominate it um so that happened to the cleric really early on which sucked for them because a pair of eyeballs will not cast spells um and then it happened to the wizard (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but 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 by the end of the adventure between the two of them, uh, they had taken over the bodies of a rat, a halfling hybrid cultist, uh, a laser harpy, uh, a, a goat that they brought along with them, <laughs> a four-armed gorilla, which was just a a powerhouse. It was like, use the stats from the core book. Holy crap, this thing gets four attacks each turn. Um, a vile hound, and also a gargoyle, which the wizard was stoked about the gargoyle, because according to the core rulebook, they, he had 21 AC, man. <laughs> nice. So, that, just like the wildness of that, and being able to hand someone a piece of paper and that like just has the eyeballs cut out, and just go, if you're talking in character, you must communicate through eye movements. <laughs> if you're out of character, you, you can really talk. And then, the, but the first thing that guy got for the very first thing dominated was the goat. And I went, you can make bond noises now. <laughs> so that's my current most favorite thing. <laughs> gotcha. Now, uh, the last of these introductory questions before we get into uh, some of the stuff around the mysteries of the multiverse here. Uh, this question has tripped some people up in the past, 
And I'll tell you, the answer can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. But Stefan, if you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Um, let me see. I think I would get, like, I would, uh, I'll tell, I'll email the Goodman Games people and tell them to do this. They never will. Um, this would be a tough t-shirt. You know those pretty gross, like, a Hego collage t-shirts? Uh, anyway, you may not. If you don't, good for you. yes. Um, I would get a t-shirt that is like a collage like that, but of like all the black and white, but of just like all the best black and white DCC line work pieces of like Doug Kovacs and, and you know, Stefan Pogue, the, the more talented Stefan. Um, and just like collage all of that on a t-shirt. So it's just covered with just beautiful line art. All right, we, we started with something gross and brought it around to something beautiful, so... Yes, it's wholesome now. Yeah, absolutely. Put a little, put a little Aero Lotus on there, a little Doug Kovacs, yeah. we're all good. That... I, I've talked to... I've talked to Harley Stroh about that, because he mentioned wanting a t-shirt with Doug Kovacs artwork on it, which he has, but I, I mentioned that we should have more of those. Yeah. So... More than it's just like one print on the, you know, we've all got a bunch of those. Make it special. Do it. Do it everywhere, or okay. give us that DCC vest, you know, that that has the patches on there. People will pay a lot for that, I imagine. Or one of those like all over print shirts. Mm-hmm. That's like I don't know, like the the cover art. I'm I'm looking over at my monitor here because I have the the inside fold art from the Dungeon Crawl Classics book as my my desktop. Uh, something like that in an all-over print might be a little, might be a little over the top, but maybe, maybe not. Hey, it'd be my convention T-shirt for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And if you like wore it to a metal show or something like that, people would be like, "Yeah, nice." Yeah, you fit right in. What it is. They just know it looks sick. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So. Those are the introductory questions, and now, um, I mean, let's let's talk about the the prescient thing here. You've got Mysteries of the Multiverse launching tomorrow. Uh, for anyone out there who's unfamiliar with the work that you've been doing, and uh, you know specifically the work you've been doing with Mutant Crawl Classics, uh, you know, fill some people in on your contributions to this specific uh, kind of game ecosystem. Yeah, uh, so I started with um, just doing some, like, fans, like, put it, doing a, a little adventure in the Gong Farmer's Manac, and, like, that was, a, that was an awesome learning experience. And I also did, like, layout for the section I was in, so that is how I started, like, learning things. Then I did Merchants of the Multiverse for Zine Quest last year and learned a whole lot more, because then I was, like, in charge of the project. It Started like I had some stuff from running MCC and more specifically running a DCC campaign where it crossed over. And then I had, you know, the dwarf and the wizard and everything and MCC. And they're going, I don't have anything to do with my gold. So <laughs> I came up with like a bunch of new weird magic, well, not magic items, but artifacts. Um, and like I had to come up with like some kind of system for how, how much is your gold worth in the post apocalypse, which ended up being like a little, uh, like a, equation based off of 
you know, uh, for the most part, the tech level and the complexity modifier of an artifact. Because that was that was the one thing where I was like, okay, every every artifact has this, so I can use that. Um, and that I worked with uh, Bozanaw, who did the cover art for Mysteries: The Multiverse. He did all the art for the first one. Um, and we just we split everything 50-50 because we didn't like invest anything but our time and efforts going into that. It was me like a month before Zine Quest being like, huh, I got some writing, but I can't pay an artist. And him being like, I got ta- time and artistic talent. And, and he wrote uh, an adventure in there, and I wrote everything else. It, went, it did really good. Um, then I did the, the Brimstone Cradle and the Hills of Hunger for Weird Frontiers, you know, um, just because, like I said, I can't get enough western stuff um and i backed the kickstarter and i i played in a game with dave at north texas rpg con like when the kickstarter was ongoing or maybe i just finished and uh yeah and just couldn't stop thinking about it wrote that published that now i'm doing you know third kickstarter mysteries the multiverse continuing the mcc stuff also try to say mcc zine three times fast and you're gonna have trouble every time um but yeah this one is going to be a bunch of fun i like uh i also wanted to uh you know bring in other people uh a little bit so i got one guy i've gamed with a good bit on discord um he was writing an, an mcc adventure and i was like hey man what are your plans for this thing how about i pay you and uh he was happy to hear that so he's got uh it's called and now our feature presentation, it's like half like traveling through the blasted plains of Terra AD. And it uses some rules that I built for um, like doing more travel stuff. Because that was one of the, the kind of unsupported facets about Mutant Crawl Classics. That in, in my opinion, at least, that, you know, um, everyone knows about the towns. You know, you can go pull Hamlet for your fantasy thing. You go, oh, bandits on the road, but like in a post-apocalyptic setting, you feel like every town has to be like some unique gimmick. You know, like in you know, you look at the places in Mad Max, in those movies, they all got some unique gimmick. You watch Thunder the Barbarian, everyone is like kind of weird. So, um, and there's always like it's never just regular bandits. They're they're motorcycle bandits, or they're you know the Cyclops tribe bandits or something, or you know they've got some weird you know new god that they worship that's you know just a supercomputer or something Mm -hmm. so i wrote a bunch of stuff for like okay you are traveling through this kind of section the photonic jungles it's you know what jungles are like but if we add the weird descriptor photonic what does that change so there's stuff in there for like you're going to mutate differently because you're in one type of region so like if you gain a new mutation You've got, you may have a better chance of getting a physical mutation or mental mutation or a specific kind, or, you know, you're in the gravitronic planes. Okay, now you're going to roll, you know, normally you roll 1d20, but to kind of mechanically tie it into the gravitronic theme, now you're going to roll 2d10 on your mutation check to kind of, you know, that bell curve representing the gravity. So I tried to do stuff like that. And then I also added, like, like I said, the weird anomalies. I've got, like, you know, freak weather incidents. So don't you go, you know, and get caught up in a cryo twister or uh, what's another fun one? Uh, or, or a nega storm. That, that was a, a term that I stole straight from an episode of Thundar. 
Nice. Um, but then the the second part of the adventure, which I haven't, <laughs> haven't even talked about, it's it's at like an old drive-in theater, and that's why it's called a now our future presentation. And it's you know a for real 3D screen, um, which can be a little problematic, and uh, and it can be a cool place uh, to. I don't know. You can you can tackle that adventure in a variety of ways, and there's some pretty goofy um, and just like fun things to mess around with, like the way too high tech hot dog machine. Now, when you say real 3D screen, you mean when something's coming at you, something is coming at you, right? Exactly. Okay, gotcha. So, like, if you throw on a an old Godzilla movie, there's a chance that the nuclear breath could actually come out of the screen and, and hit someone. You know, there might even be an off-brand Godzilla in this <laughs> adventure. That's... I, I can't think of anyone else who's kind of played around with that idea, and that's awesome. Like, And especially for Mutant Crawl classics, that that gimmick for that particular area, is that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really I liked it. Um, Darren, he, he's the guy who, who actually wrote the adventure. But yeah, he was just like, hey, you've written stuff for MCC. What do you think? And uh, and yeah, like I said earlier, I was just like, this is really good. Yeah. Yeah. I want I, I want to I didn't really do anything. I'll add this, I guess. I'll, I want to put my name on this. This is great. <laughs> so he did a stellar job with it. Hmm. But it's it's interesting that you mentioned the uh, the travel, the like the overland travel aspects not being emphasized as much in MCC. I feel the same thing about DCC because it's so much it's so focused on the dungeons and also in Mutant Crawl Classics on the like the exploration of the specific sites. Yeah, I, I agree. It's not really supported much in DCC. I just think overall, like. In, in the w very wide sense, gaming culture has more of a familiarity with fantasy games. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to just kind of come up with some travel or a generic town if you're running a more typical D&D &D fantasy game. It's, yeah. it's just the unfamiliarity with post-apocalypse because you also like, not that there aren't, you know, a lot of different sub-genres within fantasy, but like post-apocalypse is also like that. And, and the beginning unfamiliarity with it then gets all the more tougher. You know, are we talking Mad Max? Are we talking Are we talking Thundar? Because they're all post-apocalypse. And I, I also really like the thing about each town needing to have its own identity. And it, it reminds me of when I when I played Dark Sun. I ran Dark Sun and 5e for uh, a, a group of players. They had a great time. But I felt kind of the same pull that if you're going to these towns, first of all, it's important to know, like, how are these people surviving? Because much like Mutant Crawl Classics, the uh, the the general landscape of Athos, it's hard to survive in. There's lots of unpredictability in what's going on out there. So one, like, how are these people surviving? Why are they all here? And is there something weird or unique about the town? And what that led me to was coming up with a town kind of similar to, to the Thunderdome, where there's a giant arena in the middle of the town, but everything that goes on in that town, the entire economy of that town runs based on the arena. 
they don't accept gold or uh you know blood hot shards or anything like that in in that town you exchange your currency for betting slips when you first get to town and you're literally like paying merchants with betting slips so okay, even, that's really cool even like you know say you buy a sword from someone there's a chance that uh, that merchant is either going to do really, really well based on the the tickets that you've given him, and he's going to get way more than he normally would for that sword, or he could do really, really poorly. Nice. Yeah, the so the settlement thing I did, um, I can't even talk about that. I love Dark Sun. I ran a Dark Sun game for like two years when I was in college, and it turned my high school group of friends who had been gaming together for years and you know we're in college still gaming and we're all a bunch of murder hobos dark sun <laughs> turned them from being murder hobos into being heroes because they were like this yeah. world sucks enough already mm-hmm. absolutely um, it's yeah dark sun's fantastic mm-hmm. uh but yeah, yeah I, the it's... settlement thing i tried to do something cool so i i you know like i it's basically five tables and you know, settlement size, and I put in there like, "Hey, you can roll on all these. You can just pick whatever's interesting. You don't have you can roll on some of these. You like don't overcomplicate. Just do what feels right." Um, but it's like, okay, what's the political structure? So like, one that I did is like, you know, I did five results there. Roll a d five and then roll a d three because you know if you roll a one on your d five, you have a socialist commune with. And roll your d three, you get a two multiple annual tributes given to several factions or you can you know if you rolled a four and a three you get a you know the political structure is you know a warlord who seeks to consolidate his imminent death why is he imminently dying i don't know but it's enough to go on and then i got like another one for strange demographics which are like age genotype sex and then like a technological population because maybe it's all androids or holograms then like hmm. You know, another table for the structural foundation. So maybe it's like a water-based floating city. Maybe it's, you know, a vertical sinkhole housing. Maybe it is like a neo-natural thing where they are, you know, all inside a mega beast corpse. Mm-hmm. And then like a, a little table for like some interesting villagers so that, you know, you have like your political structure and that like all, that gives you like a vibe, but also a problem. The, the like demographic thing can like, gives you a unique look to the population structural foundation that table gives you like a unique you know the geography to the town and then you know interesting villagers so that you can all, always like pop in one person at least so, you know so that you've got like the one person that greets the characters or that seems interesting at the beginning so that you know like a lot of work is there done roll it ahead of time cuz it's a lot to roll during a game you can come up with a, a town or a, or a big town, you know, pretty quickly and easily with that. And I did a very similar thing for like uh, creating ruins. There's a ruins generator in here that'll help people out. Yeah, that's that's actually something that Professor Dungeon Master and I talked about uh, with creating like urban adventures. And the advice that he gave here on the show was you have to think of your your towns and cities like Springfield and The Simpsons. You've got key locations, like you have a, a handful of key locations, and it's the same people are always going to be at those places. Yeah. So you go to the tavern, you're going to have 
uh, you know, the the grumpy dwarven tavern keeper and then uh, the mysterious uh, hooded figure sitting in the dark corner. Or you go to uh, the the mad scientist's uh, bunker that he's taken over. And you've you, of course, have the mad scientist and then you have the the android that's just on the verge of completely short circuiting that thinks it's a 17th century explorer or something like that. And you, you have these memorable characters that you put in the, the handful of locations that you have in your town. And that's how you build a settlement essentially. Yeah. St- I think starting small is like good advice for anything. Like don't, don't start with like your Pantheon. If you're doing some homebrew yep. thing, you're going way too big. That doesn't, matter to the you know the first level characters start with what the problem is that they're going to be dealing with and same thing for towns like start start small start with like a couple of people like three interesting characters to talk to now one thing that i i wanted to talk with you about because these are uh you know zines that that you've been working out of the zine format this is something that's become super popular in the past just couple years, really, in the RPG world. Um, so I want to get your take on the zine format for RPGs. What do you what do you feel are the the strengths and what do you feel uh, it is that draws you to, you know, continuously make these these zines and, and work in that format? Um, it's it's really digestible. Um, I mean, to, to work in the people like it and people will buy it. So like, you know, if you're making a product and you're not willing to just pay for it out of your own pocket and just give it away and it doesn't matter, I'm not rich enough to do that. Um, though making zines certainly isn't helping much with that either. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, it's a very digestible amount of work to do. Um, you know, you get 10,000 words, you get some art, and you can put out something that people will like they can read it all at once. They can, you know, use the pieces they like and forget about the ones they don't. And if they like it enough, you can make another one. And it, it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. It's not going to cost you two years of your life, like, you know, creating your own game would. So it's just, um, yeah, it's it's an easy thing. Like if you've ever looked at, you know, the the one-page dungeon contest or pamphlet adventures, you can see like, oh, some of these are really good. You're you're sure some of them took no time at all. You're, some of them took a good bit of time. You can see that just depending on what you look at. But just you know, think about like the work entailing in making a one-page dungeon or a pamphlet adventure versus making you know um, something like a Watsy campaign path. You know, it's especially for someone who's you know new to this who is not doing this as their full-time job you can put in the effort to make a zine if you've got if you you know you gotta have permission to do it it's again it's been interesting to see the infrastructure that's popped up around rpg zines as well I, you know obviously kickstarter has done zine quest uh there's there's a whole other thing that's popped up because I, I feel like they didn't do zine quest this past year and someone else kind of took that on yeah the community uh, kind of took it on they did zine month um mm. i would have loved to have been a part of that but i didn't have this ready um yeah. 
there's also side quest which is in november if i recall right which is another like zine focused thing and kickstarter is saying that they're gonna do but they haven't confirmed but they're gonna do zine quest again but now it's in august they're saying for because gen con is at that time but that doesn't make sense to me so that doesn't help anyone who's kickstarting your i don't get it um but yeah zines uh, and and zines used to be really basic now you've got just gorgeous looking zines too um i think mine looks pretty nice it sure looks better than the first one i did uh, <laughs> but i'm not doing any like you know there's there's the basic here's your information it's like rather traditional in you know the format and how a, one of these things is written and then you got your you can go over to your more borg like art punk style mm-hmm. uh, you you've got a wide variety and i also think people just like it because they're little you can get a whole bunch of them on a shelf and you can go man only like 250 of these were ever made and mm-hmm. i got one of them so i don't know collectors love them and uh we we all have buying too many dice. A whole lot of us wanted to catch them all when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we uh, got a lot of collectors in this hobby too, so I think that's what we do. Feel. Yeah, I I don't know that my wife was fully prepared for the amount of space that this hobby takes up. Because I I'm pretty sure when I was telling her about it, I was like, yeah, it's just you know it takes uh, uh books dice. Uh, a pencil, paper, and your imagination, and then very small print at the bottom, and hundreds and hundreds of miniatures, and every single book that I can possibly get my hands on, and an entire table for my painting stuff, and now oh, a yeah. green screen. I backed the, the the Judges Guild Deluxe Kickstarter, and I did not realize that the the books were going to be like two feet tall. <laughs> um, so I don't have a space to put those. They're they're They've either been in a chair or like propped up against a bookshelf because I don't got a bookshelf for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the the cool thing about zines, even though they have become yet another thing for us to to hoard in our uh, our treasure troves as gamers, uh, as much as we all love something like uh, you know Dave Beatty's Weird Frontiers, where you can just slam a big heavy book on the table, yeah, makes you really feel uh, like you have some authority as as the judge when you have a giant book to read out of. But zines are a lot easier on your back and a lot easier to carry around. And if you can fit your rules in a, a small digest-sized book, uh, it's going to be a lot easier for you to reference and a lot easier for you to carry around than uh, a, a hefty tome. That's true. Yeah, just the... Yeah, referencing... A big, like you said, referencing something at the table. It's easier when they're smaller and there's less pages to flip through. That's just a fact. Yep. Yep, and it's it's easier to like give people copies of it and stuff like. Yeah, it's it really does make for an easier experience. The only issue is uh, having to buy a whole nother separate shelf type for your zines. You just stack them up haphazardly, one scene flat on top of another, because you already don't have enough shelf space, and that's definitely yeah. not what I do. I'll <laughs> say uh, zines. People also love doing um, like little things, like patches. Uh, Mothership does the patches. I love those. I those are super cool. One day I might do some patches too. This time I'm trying stickers out. 
think that nice. reads well. But yeah, that's based off of the cover. Well, it's just just the cover art, or part of it at least. Yeah, that's... And if you back in the first 48 hours, uh, you get one of these. Also, you've got to be in, in the U.S. Uh, I, this will ship to the U.S., the U.K., and Canada. Um, but I'm, I partnered with people in the U.K. and Canada to do the shipping in those countries, respectively. So uh, I've got 200 of those stickers here, and I will send them in, along with all of, all of you beautiful people and all your orders. Uh, and, you know, I figured 200 would be enough. If it's not, I'm happy to order more if this thing just does gangbusters. <laughs> but I've, uh, I've done my research, I, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I'll be saving 200. But yeah, and, and speaking of the cover art for this, uh, this zine, uh, and I mean this as the highest possible compliment, if I had like a battle van, I'd want this painted on the side of it. Yeah, the the guy chasing it's like a, a guy riding a you know showed up again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a guy flying. He's got he's like this scar he's like this golden robot with a scarlet hooded cape and he's got a lance and he's riding this like silver owl faced, like winged, you know, flying contraption, and he's chasing this like blue cyclops. He's got like oil for hair and he's you know, going after this guy. Um, the cover was done by uh, Bozanaw. He did all the art for the first one. He was the guy that I, me and him just, we knew each other on a Discord server and we just teamed up. And uh, I, was, I, I didn't exclusively use him for, for this one because it was all him in the first one. But I was like, I gotta get him to the art for the cover. And it turned out amazing. I gave him a pretty vague description and told him to just have fun. And he came back with something way more awesome than what I had in my mind, which is, uh, say, for, for anyone trying to do this, uh, do, like, if you, you can't, you know, some artists, not all artists are the same. It's not a one-size-fits-all answer. But trust your artists. They are good at this, and they are better at this than you are. Um Give them like the bullet points of what you need communicated and let them have some fun. Because um, if you give them a sketch and you go, I want it exactly like this, like their art brain has been trained to like do the foreground and the background and the perspective better and like pose the characters more dynamically to make your cover more interesting. They will do it better than, than your brain can think of. Or at least Absolutely. for me. And then just one last thought on this uh, this cover here. This is going to be a very specific reference that maybe only people of my generation will get. Uh, but this this very much reminds me of uh, Spider-Man Unlimited, this particular figure on the on the glider with the lance. Yeah, it kind of the, the glider thing has a bit of a goblin feel, doesn't it? Yep. Yep, and oh. the 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 lance and the cape and everything. It's very and I specifically mentioned Spider Man Unlimited because of the the Knights of Wondagore thing that they had going on there. Again, I've lost probably half the the audience out there just because nobody watched that show. But yeah, that that one I I missed uh, unfortunately. What was it called again? Spider Man of... Unlimited. Okay. I thought you said the Knights of something or another. Wonder oh, yeah, the, 
the main villains in, in Spider-Man Unlimited are called the Knights of Wondagore. Okay. And they they work for the high evolutionary on counter Earth. Because Spider-Man goes up into space and Venom and Carnage or he's trying to stop Venom and Carnage from taking over a rocket and they all land on an Earth that's on the other side of the moon from our Earth called counter Earth. And everything there is similar, but a little bit off. And essentially, it's very it's very mutant crawl classics because it's. Human animal hybrids are the like superior master race on this counter earth and they oppress the full blooded humans. So there's all kinds of weird stuff going on with uh, like hybrid mutant characters. It's very again, the show sounds better than it actually is. It's kind of dull. So so you're telling me I need to do the, the fandom wiki dive, but not actually watch it. Yeah. Yeah, if you right. if you actually it watch pretty it, awesome. like you have me going. <laughs> yeah. It's worth I, watching like an episode just to see like the aesthetic of it cuz it's cool looking, but it's not you're not going to be engrossed in some kind of awesome story with Spider-Man Unlimited unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, I watched the 90s Spider-Man cartoon mostly. Uh, mm-hmm. I I missed Unlimited. I remember the there's also like a future Spider-Man like the Cyberman 2099 or, or something like yeah. that. I think it only had like 12 episodes, though. Hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. So that well, is the Spider-Man cartoon deep dive for, uh, for all of you. And that's what there. we were really here for. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. I, yeah. I, I think we're right around the same age, so I figured it was a, a shot uh, that, that you might have heard of that show, but I re- I remember the commercials for it. Like, I'm pretty sure I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I know like the art style and I can like mm. draw that up in my mind, but I never watched that one. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I'll say the, the other thing that I had a bunch of fun with, I've been, I saw some people like posting uh, on, on discord and Twitter about uh, the mustaches, the magical mustaches from the DCC annual. And I was like, <laughs> All right, don't shill too hard. Like, back off. You don't need to just be like, hey, bye, bye, thing. Um, but I, I got some, uh, I'm calling them mutagenic mustaches and tech toupees in here because they're not all proper nice. mustaches. But uh, I was like, yeah, MCC needs some of these. So there's, there's four in here. They all, they're written up just like the ones in the annual. They work just like those. So really, you could use them in DCC, but they're, they're flavored for the flavor. I mean, I like, Magical mustaches, you know, rocking seventy stashes are super fantasy for DCC either. But these are more tuned to MCC for sure. Like one is a holographic pompadour, which is kind of Elvisy themed. <laughs> yep. Uh, another is a uh, a like strobe. I call I call it the strobe hawk, aka the the Turiat. So it's you know kind of a you know, maybe a, a Mr. T mohawk that, you know, has like strobe and neon light things and, and it can vibrate and cut through stuff. Um, I got another one called uh, the Manimal Mane, a.k.a. the Rutherford, which <laughs> is uh, you get yourself a horse mane. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this is probably the one My Little Pony reference I'm ever going to put in something. <laughs> a character named <laughs> Rutherford. <laughs> um. But uh, and then another one, um, 
oh, I just I, I think I need to put the uh, the art in there for them. I got Bozen to do the art for the the fourth one, the Living Chin, aka the Bruce. Uh, nice. You get this one. You can find out if Chins really can kill. <laughs> um, the deep dive for some Bruce Campbell fans. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, one thing that I really appreciate about the the work that you've done in in both you know this and and the other stuff uh helping bridge the gap between dcc and mcc for when you cross those characters over because for anyone who hasn't read the uh dcc or mcc handbooks there's a section at the back that says you know this is compatible with mcc or this is compatible with dcc uh, you know, here's a little bit of a write up as to. Yeah, the, it's scenarios. in MCC. They say like, hey, if you uh, clerics of this level to this level, they get an artifact bonus to this. Otherwise, do stuff the same. It, it's really quick. I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. But it, it's just it's there, but it's not much. Mm-hmm. And it's there's been a lot of effort on the community's part to bridge that gap. Uh Obviously, there's there's this project. There's Crypt of the Science Wizard that Skeeter Green's been doing. There's a lot of that stuff in there. Um, and you mentioned the, you know, like, what is my gold worth in the wasteland? Uh, basically, being the, the catalyst for thinking about all this stuff. What other issues do you see popping up when you have that portal open up and have like a DCC character wander into uh, the world of mutant crawl classics. Uh, I mean, one of the things, so you get that, like, you know, clerics of this level should get a bonus like this. I find it weird. Like, I feel like the bonuses get really high in there. I'm like, why, you know, it's an artifact of the ancients, but this, you know, superpower microwave, why would someone who's like from fantasy land be any good at using that? That doesn't really make sense to me. Um, I don't tackle that. I, I'm not like trying to redo the stuff that's like in the core book. I, that would be a, a just a foolish thing to attempt, I think. But so I'm, I'm just trying to support the stuff that where, where I see gaps. Um, I think mostly like you can just take it as is um, for like clerics and wizards, like a wizard, they've got stuff on their own. Um, When I did my DCC and characters in the MCC, it went with, they got there because of some mishaps in the adventure of Bates Vale hand, which is set in like a Denny plane already. So it was like, they're trying to get back to their plane and Oh no, Samurai Jack situation, (laughs) you know, far flung to the future. Thank goodness there's no Aku here, but there's a lot of horrible stuff anyway. Hmm. Um, they quickly picked up, and you know, um, one thing is like lean on what you do have. Um, I one of the characters he was a, a cleric of Dainthar, who's the the mountain lord, the you know the god of most dwarves. That's what the write up says essentially in the annual. Um, and he's got like a lay on hands thing, a special thing where he can do lay on hands for machines to heal them. Um, and it's meant for just like, oh, the, the gears broke off the thing and you can fix that without having to, you know, do actual like mechanical work. 
Um, but I leaned on that a lot. And that player was also like really interested in collecting things and like did really good with role play. So like look to what your players have been doing. Um, but likewise, like if they have a patron, if they have a God, um, this is a new world where there is like a, a servant there. They've never been here before. They want something from this world because they have power. They want more. So I, uh, the adventure Evil of the Ancients is a really fun MCC adventure, but it's essentially like a haunted house mystery with like almost no combat at all. Um, I used that and the, the wizard character, he was like, I want to do, I want to make a wizard staff. And I've got these mummified organs of Sezrakon from, you know, an adventure we previously played. And I want to incorporate that into my wizard staff. And so I use that of like, Sezrakon's kind of pissed. Um, you've kind of defiled his mummified organs, but he's also past that mortal form. Um, but he is going to send you on a quest to do this thing. And, you know, I'm, their actions resulted in Sezrakon having like a permanent tie into the world of MCC. Dane Thar had something there, but they also were like interested in the the patron AI thing. So like use those too. Um, uh, I think it's you know Mangala wants to. It's just like the war god essentially. So like have Mangala. If one of them latches onto that, Mangala wants them to be the glorious warrior to wage war. Go back to your own home and wage war there in Mangala's name. If you get um, Tetraplex, Tetraplex is all about like collecting all knowledge. And Tetraplex is going to want knowledge of this whole other world that it's never even heard about before. So lean on the things that the characters already have and lean on the things that are bigger than the characters. That's, that's my main advice for bridging. And there's a, there's a third aspect uh, or a third world to, to connect to all of these now with Weird Frontiers. And so I'll be I'll be very interested to see uh, cowboys wandering around in in the uh, irradiated wasteland and, and how yeah. that affects adventures. Well, there, there's also the third party adventure. Uh, Welcome to Eastwood, um, <laughs> which is like a kind of like a. You know, cowboy robot themed amusement park or, or theme, not really an amusement park, but one of those, you know towns where it's supposed to be like how it was back in the old west and it's populated yep. entirely by robots so like that's a perfect one for you know something weird happens there's a breach into your weird frontiers world and this is what comes over from mcc or oh no your weird frontiers characters they you know get pulled over and this is the first thing they step into it's just familiar enough but it's definitely way different also mm-hmm Yep, you're you're gonna have a, a heck of a time as a luchador trying to slap a figure four on something with four legs. So yeah, definitely. Um, I'll say I did have I in this. I also have adventure hooks for like a lot of the the first party stuff, like you know the city of Punjar, the chain coffin stuff, mm. purple planet, um, dinosaur crawl classics too, because I love that. Um, so like stuff where stuff from those worlds will come over or you can get drawn in just like enough to that you know give the gm an excuse and i also um i talked with uh i emailed and messaged a bunch of like other third party creators so and got them it was like hey you go you mind writing like four to six sentences 
you know, just some kind of adventure hook and, you know, you kind of get your thing advertised in this. And we'll use your stuff more, hopefully. So I've got stuff for Bronx Beast, Leopard Women of Venus, Aeon Ancient Breeze, uh, Pax Lex Q, um, Starcrawl, and then Sean Richer. He does like the Tear the Stratosphere stuff. He would just went and stuff. He got me Tear the Stratosphere. He got me Too Worm, Too Furious. And he wrote stuff for Churn Stroke Burn, which is something that he's working on, which should be out later this year for, for DCC and also Troika. So uh, there, there's a lot of that bridging the worlds and connecting them in here and, and great tools for that. Mm-hmm. One thing I'd like to see as an ultimate bridge between worlds is some kind of multi-dimensional tavern or bar where all these entities can meet up. Maybe this is just uh, my my love of Planescape coming out or, or my obsession with Moss Eisley Cantina, but I like this idea that all of these uh, interdimensional travelers can meet up in, in a bar and cowboys and uh, dwarves and uh, plantians can have uh, like beers together talking about all their different shenanigans that go on in their worlds. Trading weird items and getting in weird fist fights. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be fun. All right, I'm writing it down. That's in whatever the next M of the multiverse is. You got it, Ryan. <laughs> nice. I'll expect a writing credit. Yep. I might actually write something up for you there. <laughs> hey, if you want to, I'll put it in. I, if you know, again, if it does well, I'll make another one. I've got some notes of stuff. I've got a lot more items. I've got, yeah, I've got some. I've got some stuff that I can turn in. I can definitely write more. Gotcha. Now, moving beyond this particular campaign, what would you like to do moving forward? Like what? What would you like to do next, uh, you know, building off of the success of uh, Mysteries of the Multiverse? Uh, in, should that happen in, in the way that you would need it to, to continue going down this road? Uh, I've, I've got two things that are, like, bigger projects that I would like to do. They just, you know, they require more time, and I, I don't always have the passion for doing them. So I've, you know, I've got some stuff that's written or half-written, but then I start working on something else um but i'd like to do a collection of giants adventures um not just like you know kind of because i love the the against the giants i love the g1 two and three um but not just like redoing them i've got one that's like fully written up it's about ten thousand words and it's uh like a sea giants uh adventure um like based on an island and i kind of like use some steal some of the stuff of like from the, the Pirates of the Caribbean movie with Davy Jones' locker. So, like, that's what the Sea Giants look like. They look like the crew of Davy Jones. They've got a pretty similar kind of curse, and they're trying to figure out a way to stop it. They've got a lot of, you know, taking a lot of slaves, and they're planning something. Um, and I've got outlines for a couple more. One about, like, it's like Cyclopses and Storm Giants and a flying castle in the sky. Kind of, I was, I, wa- I rewatched the Ghibli uh, Castle in the Sky film, you know, Lakuta, and was like, yeah yeah and got a decent outline but it, it it's just an outline still i've got a, another thing for stone giants i'd like to do a giants thing and i've also got like a pretty good amount but no actual play testing done for a uh, like a, a wizard school thing for a, you know i guess the closest 
thing is Harry Potter, but it's not that, you know. But yeah, so uh, if if I ever can muster up all the effort it takes to put out my own, you know, thing that is more similar to Star Crawl or something, where it's its own book, its own setting, that that'll be what that is. But uh, yep. those are big projects. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I. I, I just have to wonder because we we find ourselves in similar situations where we both have young kids in the house and that takes up a lot of time. I'm someone who's very much trying to begin a career of making adventures. So I just got to ask, where do you find the time with a day job and a kid and, you know, obligations to multiple other things to write? I I don't get as much time as I as I want to. Um, sometimes it's simply a, it's, I've been thinking about stuff in between things at work and I got a weird shift where, you know, part of my stuff is really busy and part of it's really slow. So sometimes I'm like, it's slow. Kids, you know, I don't have to deal with anything. Yeah, okay. I can, I can get into Google doc and, and write for a little bit. Um, and sometimes it's, eh, my wife went to bed early. Baby went to bed on time. Do I play Elden Ring or do I, you know, which I've had since practically released, but I've barely gotten 40 hours into it still um, <laughs> over the course of, I don't even know how many months now. Uh, mm-hmm. Do I tr- <laughs> maybe beat that one day or do I get some writing done? What am I passionate about tonight? Do I still have energy to write? So, um, but the, there's no secret. You just got to do it. There, mm-hmm. You you carve out the time. You make a little note on your phone if you think of something that save for later. And that little bullet point of an idea hopefully will turn into something. Um, but when you have some time, you just got to sit down and write. And there's no secret other than that. Mm-hmm. And and if it sucks, that's okay because sucking <laughs> is something's the first step uh, before mm-hmm. you get good. Uh, your editor will help you make sure it's good. Uh, you just got to write it and revise it a couple times. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and and one again, just to to mention the the cool community around uh, these games. There's lots of great people who have made some amazing products that are pretty accessible if you want to bounce ideas off of and and talk to. Uh, that's that's one thing that I've noticed from expression that I wanted to make games there was immediately someone who was like, all right, hey, what questions do you have? And just, you know, had like a, a big, long conversation with me about it. Ian McGarty from uh, Silver Boulets, uh sat down with me last year at North Texas and just, you know, let me ask stupid questions, essentially. So Yeah, I met him this year at North Texas. He's, he's a really fun... Actually, I gamed with him, too, in Dave Beatty's game. He's a really fun mm-hmm. guy. Um, Yeah, you just got to write... Um, a, you break things down into smaller pieces. If you look at like the whole thing, like how do I publish something? Like you're starting too big. Like how do I write? And then go, okay, wait, what sections of the, all right, what's the, let me look at the thing I'm trying to emulate. Okay. I need to write a background area. I need to write a, for the judges area. I need to write like a, a general description for the caverns, like break it down into smaller pieces and it's going to be way more manageable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep, and and it's great that you know people like James Shields have uh, you know the like Patreon communities that they have and and have these you know expansive libraries of stock art uh, that you can look through. 
there's all kinds of great people out there who are doing, you know, great work and they're everyone's kind of struggling for the same thing and and all, you know, hoping that someone can can trigger the rising tide that will lift all ships in in this yeah. community. So it's I don't feel any sense of like cutthroatness from kind of the the OSR publishing world that I found uh so many friends in uh which is great because I, I feel like you know if I were trying to get into like music instead of uh writing RPGs the second I expressed interest someone would just be like don't even bother and just like kick me in the head like man gigging is so hard <laughs> yeah uh probably but yeah I mean this you know you 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 got to put yourself out there some, but you you can do it from behind your computer screen also obviously. So it's uh, you can do it from home for the most part, and uh, when you're not, it's usually because you're at your buddy's house gaming or you're at a convention game with other people who are just there to have fun. So yeah, it's a naturally welcoming community, um, except for a few bad actors, but you can just mostly block them on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and. Let's be honest. There's not. You're never gonna find a community out there that's 100 percent amazing people, top to bottom. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the, it, that's just an impossible thing. Yeah, and everyone. I've said this a couple times. The internet is great that it gave everyone a voice, but it sucks that it gave everyone a voice. Because mm-hmm. uh, some people don't. Some people just need to shut up. They don't. They don't need to have. Th- their voice is amplified and you can whoever you think I'm talking about in your heads, you can you can attach that to whatever. Per, I'm not calling anyone out specifically because. I don't need that kind of heat, but for you there in the audience, yeah, you know who you, you are. You know who I'm talking about. Levi Combs. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love Levi. Yeah, he's a great guy. I, I finally got to meet him, too, at North Texas recently. He, you know, packing his stuff for years and calling him on Twitter. He was, he's such a nice guy. I, I, he was also in the Dave Beatty, like, Luchador game. He was, he was so... <laughs> of course he was. He was coming up with the best names for his signature moves. He was, mm-hmm. like, I was look, I would just look over him, and he's like, he's writing more down. <laughs> Did Egg did Ed Bickford get to participate in that game at all? No, he he was at the con, but he wasn't in that game. That's a shame because Ed Ed is also a huge wrestling fan like myself. So yeah, that... I I got to talk with I, I bought a piece of art from Ed. Nice. Not showing up well, but it's like a zombie grandma. I looked through all his stuff and I was like, yeah, I like this. I don't know why I like the zombie grandma so much, but she's awesome. So much of his work is uh, just unbelievable. The the things that spill out of his imagination and the yeah. the feelings that he's able to capture with his art. Like my favorite piece of his, uh, which if you went through his like prints that he was selling or his his uh, originals that he was selling, you probably saw the the two spacemen uh, hunkered behind a hill waiting to like ambush the aliens. Uh, okay, I saw one. I remember one that was like that, but there was like a huge robot that they it looked yep. like they were hiding from. But mm-hmm. yeah, he's great. He he let me flip through his sketchbook for a little bit too. He's super nice guy. Oh, yeah. Him and I, he was like right next to Jay Shields, and we 
he came over at one point when I was talking to Shields, and we all just got talking, and mm-hmm. everyone was super nice. It was yep. really fun to actually talk to artists and too, and like I don't know, get a different perspective on because uh, they're in this thing too, but they're not they're not doing writing yet. So it was just really cool. Now, when it comes to like convention gaming, uh, since you know we, we we've brought up North Texas so many times already. Uh, One thing that I found is beneficial for anyone out there who's never been to a gaming convention, uh, you should go, if only to sit at other people's tables and just, like, steal ideas from them. See how they run games. I feel like I've learned a lot from just being at table, you know, because there's, like, I played at the same table with the same group of friends you know, sometimes we'd have a new guy come to that, but it was almost always the same people for years and years. I learned so much when I started like going to conventions and seeing how other people DM. Mm-hmm. Like I, after being in like one Brendan LaSalle game, I was like, oh, I'm going to stand when I DM now. I, I am, I am more dynamic. I am more dynamic. And like I communicate, I command attention better. And it also makes it easier to herd those cats. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you learn a lot. It's awesome. And you also get the opportunity to try out like stuff that you could never convince your home group to try. Absolutely. Whether they're stuck on whatever system they're stuck on or they don't want to learn. You can go and kind of learn it and come back and like, guys, I played Alien or I played Mothership. I I played Bunnies and Burrows and we're going to Bunnies, man. Bunnies next week. I'm running it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's... The the unfortunate downside of gaming at conventions, well, one, you don't sleep. So by day three, I. Just as a quick aside, I played in level two of uh, Skeeter Green's Crypt of the Science Wizard last year. Um, For anyone who has played that game, that's the one with the giant uh, Jack Kirby creation that you don't want to mess with. Uh, immediately following the room filled with octopuses. I had not slept well the night before. I had not eaten anything that morning. And I was essentially about as out of it as you could possibly be uh, playing that game. I wasn't drunk or on drugs or anything like that, but just the natural... (laughs) Yeah, I might as well have been. And my character got... Uh, bitten by one of those squid creatures so he goes crazy and because i'm already cracked just me as a person i go crazy at the table too so it, it you you can experience some interesting things but the other real downside is you find games that you love so much and you know i really enjoyed playing this game you take it home to your table and people are just like eh can we can we play D and D or can we play whatever it is we've been playing? That's when you got to find the online community because there are people out there who want to play. They just might not live near you. I've played more online DCC games than I played in person. Both that's because COVID, but um, there's a silver lining to that. It made a lot more people willing to play games online. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, as we're kind of, you know, reaching the end of our time here, uh, obviously we have the Kickstarter coming up, but if there's anything else that you want to push people towards uh, or any kind of, you know, message you want to put out there for people, 
what to look for uh, in the future from you. Uh, I'm going to turn this over to you. It is your time to to do this now. So uh, so go for it. Um, yeah, I mean, mostly the Kickstarter. It's uh, going to have like good deals for, for all the other stuff I've made in the past before. Um, links in the chat. Um, I'll say I also see someone being like, I really want to try a DCC in there. Um, do it online, man. Uh, uh, go to goodmangames.com. Just like search Discord. There's a little search thing if you scroll down, bottom right. Um, search Discord. You'll find some links uh, to their Discord. They've got a, it's like the official, unofficial one. And then there's also, uh, I'm a mod on the Dungeon Crawlers Discord. Uh, they're both like large enough to public Discord. So you can also just search them on there. On the Dungeon Crawlers Discord, we've, there's games happening all the time. We use the Sesh bot. So it's like super easy to sign up. Um, we're super welcoming, and I've never, it, if if it's like a playtest fairy, which is uh, not uncommon, but sometimes people will say like experienced DCC players only, but and it's usually because they're like doing a playtest or something. But unless it says that, like it is fair game, you don't ever have to have rolled any kind of die before. Just join up, and uh, we'll have some fun. Um, someone over there right now, he's like. Uh, doing the old like published Dragonlance modules but he's like converting them to dcc just because nice. he really wants to play those but he doesn't want but he wants to play dcc too so uh yeah search uh get on those discords and you'll you'll get some games in in no time i promise that um yeah besides that mysteries of the multiverse i'm i'm really hyped about it early so i can I have 200 of these stickers and I don't want to keep all 200. So uh, back in the first 48 hours and uh, as long as you're in the U S so I can actually mail them with your book, I will get them to you. Um, and if we hit some stretch goals, I'm going to do like some pamphlet adventures so that, you know, like really like no prep or no, or very minimal prep. You can get an MCC game coming out um, that night. And if I, if I do enough of those, I'll probably like, take the cake the person who's written the most mcc adventures which is cheating with pamphlet adventures because they're so short but <laughs> um also more stickers that everyone would get of um like the the different weird merchants from um that if you have the first one merchants of the multiverse you can see what they look like they'll basically those will get colored they'll be turned into stickers so if you want a uh, a sticker of legally distinct joe the camel um <laughs> Uh, who will give you a free Fez hat instead of smokes with every you know purchase of an artifact? Um, he also rides a giant flea. That's how he travels. Um, that that's everyone loves that guy. He'll probably be. It's going to be a vote of you know which merchant from the first one do you want? He's probably going to be the first one. If we do well enough, there'll be some other ones too. Um, yeah. yeah, that. Let's make it big. Let's make it awesome. Um, I want to make more stickers and. Maybe maybe next time I'll feel confident enough to, to do some patches because those are even cooler. Absolutely. And for everyone who is uh, with us live, if you haven't done so already, uh, the link for this Kickstarter campaign's uh, kind of pre-launch page will pop up here in chat. If you can just uh, click the notify me on launch button here and uh, really get those numbers up for, for Stefan, uh, I'd greatly appreciate that, and we will let you guys know tomorrow uh, when this campaign launches. I hope everyone who's watching this will back it, and I hope everyone who watches this on YouTube 
Uh, you guys will still have time to get in on this action. Everyone who listens on audio, uh, this will be available. You'll find links in the descriptions. Uh, so, you know, just just jump on that. And uh, if you can get to it within the first 48 hours, uh, Stefan's got a real cool sticker for you. It'll, it'll run three weeks, though. So it's going from June 14th until uh, that's July 5th or yep. 4th at midnight, I guess. Maybe not. Hmm. I don't know. I don't, Kickstarter will decide the ending for me. I put in 21 days. <laughs> but I guess it'll be the morning of the 5th at 10 a.m. Gotcha. Cool. Well, Stefan, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and giving me the chance to talk about DCC and MCC again. I love doing it. So thanks for uh, for coming on and, and telling us about the projects that uh, that you're working on right now. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. It was super fun. I, I honestly can't get enough of hopping on shows because like this because and I just want to talk about it, too. <laughs> if, if I'm not gaming, I'd. I, my second favorite thing to do with gaming is talk about gaming. <laughs> Absolutely. So guys, that's going to do it for our show tonight. Uh, thank you all for, for stopping by. I hope you guys will click that notify me button on the Kickstarter page. And just to let you guys know what's coming up next week, uh, we are going to have a, uh, a big cast here on Rolling Bones next week because we've got uh, multiple people from Axion, the new Valor Studios actual play. Uh, we'll have Cheyenne Wright on here. We'll have Megan Caves. Uh, my producer, Gregory, is even going to step on the other side of the camera here uh, so that you guys will get to get to meet him as he's very heavily involved with this game as well. And we're just going to be talking about this uh, this steampunk space opera world of Axion that Cheyenne has been so excited about running for, for many years. So I hope you guys will join us and hear what all of the uh, excitement is about there. And until next time, whether you guys rolled a one or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard. And with us at Valor Studios, remember the Discord, remember Twitter, and uh, remember to share this with your friends who are into gaming. Uh, until next time, I will see you guys on the other side. Farewell.